They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast that doesn't actually believe Elvis is still alive. And we mostly blame the robot. This is Hysteria 51. He is alive. In fact, he left a voicemail last week telling you guys what he thinks of the show. Ah, uh, this show ain't no good. <laughs> Elvis is in the NRA, it sounds like. <laughs> we are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. And we're your hosts and head Elvis impersonators. I'm John Goforth, and this is Brent Hand. I look just like Elvis. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, how'd you like that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not sure I look like Elvis, but I definitely have his, uh, and I know that you will back me up on this, his hip shakedown. You, gross. No one asked, and now we're all scarred. Think of the kids, Brent. The kids. See, see about your one to talk. You go around <laughs> literally selling Tic Tacs to teenagers and calling them Elvis pills. Oh, wow. Drugs in a bottle. I feel like Elvis Presley. Sims is going to sue somebody. <laughs> bottles of pills. Bottles of pills. Who wants some pills? Get your pills here. All are very cheap. Brought to you by your new friend, friend, conspiracy bot. Kyle, shut down sequence peanut butter banana one. Shutting down. You ain't nothing but a dog. Oops. That's the shutdown sequence for when the cops show up. Kyle. Shut down sequence peanut butter bacon banana 16. What's happening? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I have different shutdown sequences for Kyle based on what illegal activity I have him doing and then what type of authority figure shows up. Wanna see Kyle dealing the nuclear codes and Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shows up? No! Alright, quickly, 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 for the unsuspecting new listeners at home, Brent... The alleged nuclear arms dealer you just heard from is the third host of this show and resident asshole. His name is Conspiracy Bot. And then somewhere along the way, he decided to build his own robot minion. And that's the impressionable Elvis wannabe you just heard. His name is Kyle. They're, they're, what's the word? Difficult. Yeah, that's, I think, an understatement. Whatever. I'm out of here. I gotta go reprogram Kyle. Have a meeting tonight with some shady Russians that might or might not involve a certain upcoming American election. Dude, give it a rest. You know we stay away from politics for the most part. Didn't know you cared so much about the race for Poughkeepsie City Council, but okay. Well, that's good, I suppose, because tonight, Brent, we have an actual interview with real people that the robot shouldn't be involved with. And I, might I say it's a out-of-this-world interview i see what you did there and that's right tonight we're talking to both the writer slash director co-director and the star of elvis from outer space but first let's cover a little of the conspiracy that led to something like this being made um you can't talk elvis without getting this out of the way elvis isn't dead john i think everyone knows that he's 
he's still out there. It wasn't on the toilet eating his famous sandwich, but uh, right, he's actually uh, he's on Mars with Tupac and JFK. Yeah, well, they summer in uh, said Poughkeepsie, but otherwise, yeah, you know, yeah, he dabbles in acting too, as we all know, because you know he shows up in <laughs> some TV and movies and stuff in the background. He has, he has, and uh, and as we know, he will continue to. That's the greatest part about these. Uh, <clears throat> these theories, let's call them uh, conspiracies, whatever you uh, about folks still being Pronounced alive. F- like, facts. Uh, like facts, facts. Uh, yeah, that, I'm sorry, that's what I was looking for. For it's 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 <laughs> to an to even even greater extent, uh, Hitler still being alive. Like, yeah, even if they like, let's just say they didn't die when history alleges they died. They're not alive right now. Like, well, well I was, mean, I suppose he'd be in his eighties. He'd be yeah. eighty-five, eighty-six, something like that. I mean, it's possible, but he'd be a hunk, hunk of burning shit by now. But yeah, he'd be he, he could still be alive. It's it's yeah, that's true. It's it's true. But it, it, as as time progresses with a lot of these folks that allegedly didn't die when we all think they died, uh, it becomes less and less possible that they are still alive. Right, right. Well, let's talk about this alleged death though a little bit. If you're not familiar with it, Elvis Presley died. At the tender Yay! <laughs> age of 42 on August 16th, 1977. So, yeah, a ways away ago. 43 years almost uh, yeah. next month uh, of our recording date here. So now I know what you're thinking, but despite the coroner, the doctors and pretty much anyone around stating otherwise, fans and anyone looking for a good story or especially people that made the World Weekly News just couldn't accept that the king's death had actually happened and they've been inventing new ways that he might still be alive ever since now that has kind of trickled a little bit away as people have gone less and less to the supermarket checkouts well uh, yeah so there's less weekly world news there's also it's kind of one of those now that everyone has a uh uh, a camera on their phone. There's less sightings. <laughs> well, that's true, but and, and, that's and, because him and Batboy now summer together also, and so they're just not spotted as much. Well, gosh, they're all living together at this point. It's an episode of the real world. Um, one of the first recorded sightings, Brent, uh, of of Elvis post death, was when a person who looked suspiciously like him bought a one way ticket. From Memphis, yeah, obviously where mm-hmm. he was living at the time of his death, or dying at the time of his death, I suppose, uh, a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires. Now, yeah. here's the here's the interesting thing about that, and this might be one of the more interesting uh, little nuggets from Elvis post-death. The person who bought said ticket was allegedly named John Burroughs, and John Burroughs is is known to be one of Elvis's. Uh, nom de plumes. Or, they they use that in the the movie we're talking about. They they called him. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he used it to to book hotels so people didn't know. Or that Elvis to Presley. to go talk to Nixon if you believe some of the stories and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right. And by the way, Brent, a piece that you might not be aware of. I'm going to tie this to Mad Men. Now follow me here. John Burroughs, the name of my father's high school, his alma mater, the the private school in St. Louis, Missouri, that my father attended. On scholarship, he had, it, they were a poor, poor family growing up. Uh, had to have a scholarship to go there. My dad went. Um, he went on to, you know, be my dad, and and that's probably the greatest accomplishment of his life. Uh, R.I.P. Dad. But that was a joke. Well, no, he actually is dead. The greatest accomplishment part. But anyway, later, a decade or two later, another 
famous man attended John Burroughs? John Hamm. Oh, no shit. Or, well, I don't know if he attended or taught. He taught theater there. I don't know if he also attended, but he definitely taught theater there. So you have no idea what you're talking about. It's just coming out. Yeah, well, no, I, he, he did teach theater there. I just don't know if he attended. But John, John Hamm, he's a handsome bastard. He's just one of those uh, those guys that just has a look. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. He was perfect like, for that. He he gets up, Madden. hung over, hating himself, puked on himself the night before, pops in a cigarette, hair all messed up, and the girls are like, ooh, okay, I can see it. <laughs> there There is some other things, though, keeping on the, the, the Elvis train, so to speak. There's some other stuff, little tidbits that people always point at, uh, and that's not John Hamm's hair, but there is the headstone. His full name was Elvis Aaron Presley. But his gravestone, originally, they misspelled it to only have one A in Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. They spelled it with A-R-O-N. Right. So, of course, you get the the conspiracy crowd that goes, hey, Elvis did that to let everyone know that he's still alive because everyone knows you drop an A when you're still alive. That's well, rumor, universal. There's a, there, there was a rumor that he always wished his middle name was spelled um, in a way more akin to to the middle name of his uh, stillborn twin, Jesse Garen Presley, and Garen, G-A-R-O-N, meaning he didn't like the A-A-R-O-N because it wasn't as close to G-A-R-O-N. Can you imagine if there had been two Elvises? Well, Elvis and Jesse Presley. That's crazy. That'd just be the the Jonas Brothers, right? Right. Right, and there's two of me, and also everyone knows that he really did all of this because he was just hiding from who, who John, the mafia. Yeah, as as one is to do, Gail Brewer Giorgio, which is a beautiful name, just rolls off the tongue. He's author of the <laughs> 1988 book Is Elvis Alive? Question mark. Explain that Presley had to go into witness protection after helping the FBI take down a group called the Fraternity. And uh, Brewer Giorgio hyphenated there, told Time Magazine, Elvis faked his death because he was going to be killed and there was no doubt about it, in quote. Powerful words there, Jonathan. Doesn't this kind of sound like a movie that Joshua Jackson would have starred in in, say, like 2001? What was that? He did one of those. It was called uh, like Skull, and, Skull and Bones or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua the Skulls, Jackson. The Skulls, Skulls, right? Skulls, yeah, because Skull yeah. and Bones is the real one. Now we're on a fucking list. <laughs> Shit. Like we weren't before. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, man, like it's just one of those things that... Uh, uh, you can come up with them now and they'll stick. You know, we we should be we should just be throwing random ones in here that aren't true. So people just talk about them. Oh, yeah. You heard about the well, you, you know, Brent, you know about the Plumbers Guild, right? Oh, don't even get me talking about the uh, what's it called? The uh, so the plumbers aren't the fraternity. They're the uh, the well, you snake a toilet. So the snake pit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're la- listen. We're laughing. But uh, let me give you this little tidbit. During a tour of the FBI headquarters in 1971, Elvis, quote, spoke favorably of the Bureau and offered his, quote, services in any way, end quote, according to an FBI memo. Yo, listen. I was talking about playing at the, <laughs> the Christmas party. I mean, like, literally, do you need me at the holiday party? <laughs> right, right. 
Well, I mean, uh, the real reason he he faked his death was because he wanted to start a new career or go back to an older career, which was acting. And he was really only in one kind of movie since then, wasn't he, Jen? That's right. One of my wife's favorite movies of all time, and certainly her favorite holiday movie. Throb! Which is, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is great, because my wife is Jewish, and this could not be more of a, a Christmas classic. Home Alone. Well, uh, Elvis was exact, in Home Alone. He well, exactly sort of. Star in it. Yeah. Sort of, right. Yeah, but he's in the movie. Right. So remember when Kevin's mom is asking the gate attendant about like flight availability? This is right before John John Candy helps her out, right? Mm-hmm. If you freeze frame and when she's kind of like looking the most desperate at the gate attendant, so you're kind of you're kind of getting the view of uh from right behind the gate attendant's shoulder. There's a dude in the background kind of the right with a uh, a turtleneck and a beige jacket who I bet it had the sweetest elbow patches. Oh, I'm sure it did. There's no question. Ben Bolin was drooling. <laughs> that motherfucker's just like, that's it. That's me. Future. <laughs> um, yeah. So a turtleneck beige jacket. He looks like a cross in my mind between like a, a Elvis sort of, you know, mid years and a younger Robert Goulet. That's, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Um, but those, you know, in the know. Uh, point out that this is, of course, the one and only Elvis just in disguise. It also tipped it off a lot of people because if you have 5.1 Dolby surround sound in that scene, you can hear that guy screaming, I'm John Burroughs, bitch, get me on the plane. And that's why a lot of people uh, think that that might have had something to do with it. And then John Hamm runs through the frame and tackles him. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> he should be Batman, right? I mean, right? John Hamm would be a great Batman. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the look, man. I tell you. He's got the up. jaw. He's got the, yeah. you have to have the jaw. Yep. Yep. But the real truth, the reason we're here is we're going to tell you the real truth. And that is he went to live among the stars with a bunch of aliens from Alpha Century. If that sounds like a good time to you, well, I got good news. There's a movie coming out with that very plot. You don't say. John, tell him about it. Can you summarize? Give us the gofopedia, if you will, on this movie. Well, the title of the movie is Elvis from Outer Space. And uh, the way we would describe it, according to the folks that made Elvis from Outer Space, is it's a psychedelic rant about a gambling Elvis impersonator and his troubles with the Vegas Mafia, featuring a hapless crew of broken-down Elvis impersonators who find themselves in competition with an Elvis who's so good, everybody starts to wonder, could it really be that the CIA and aliens from Alpha Centauri have brought Elvis back to Vegas? Could it be? Uh, spoiler alert. Yes. Yes, it could. <laughs> That's right. So when we come back, we're going to be joined by the co-writer and director, like I said, Tracy Wishpard, and the star Elvis impersonator himself, George Thomas. That's coming up after the break on Hysteria 51. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, That's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been 
touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation, too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> in that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's it, they design it for long-term retention, you know. It, and, yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now. Right now, get now. started for very limited time. History fifty one listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. How much? Fifty percent. Visit Rosetta Stone dot com slash today that's 50 percent off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life wow. redeem 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 how do they do it rush day you're 50 oh. percent off <laughs> rush <-a -day. laughs> redeem it 50 percent off rosettastone.com slash today do it today after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
Nation, we are back and we are joined by the two very, very, very special guests that we promised you. We are joined by the, the movie's director and co-writer, the, the brain behind the child, uh, uh, Tr- Tracy Wishpard, and then also the star, Mr. George Thomas himself. Thank you both for, uh, for joining the show today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. Now, before we get into Elvis and UFOs and aliens and all the like, uh, let's hear a little bit about uh, about the both of you. Uh, uh, Tracy, if you'd start, just to tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what got you into movie making, what you've done in the past, and uh, just a little bit about your career. Yeah, this definitely isn't your first uh, you know, soiree into music either, correct? So you kind of have a yeah, background with no, that. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I went to Carnegie Mellon. I... Uh, graduated there out of the fine arts program. I was a painter and a filmmaker there. And, uh, and also I, during that time I had a punk rock band called the shakes. Oh, and no, so, nice. uh, we were one of the first punk bands there. And, uh, we go back occasionally for reunion shows and stuff. You see all the 60 year olds, like in the <laughs> bar punk in their hands. But, uh, so it's like my little, punk rock life there. Uh, uh, I ended up moving to California and got involved in the uh, commercial world, working at Red Car Editing, uh, commercials for like, you know, I worked on that Michael Jackson Pepsi campaign. and. Burger oh, it's King your thing. fault. Okay, now we know. Who <laughs> <it was. laughs> I know. So you no, said I'm, you were in editing. Did you actually edit the piece with his hair on fire? <laughs> I was the assistant editor on that job. That was oh, wow. when I was, uh, you know, I was being uh, mentored by Larry Bridges. And so that's, I cut my teeth on that stuff. That's so, great. interesting. So you've seen yeah. all the crazy footage. That's that's. All. And we could look, you know, and see like, Frame by frame, like when the spark came up and hit him in the head. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was kind of fun. So, so I, I just, you, you don't have to divulge here, but I'm just, I'm just imagining the secret dark vault you have somewhere with old, and they have to be real to real, old real to real of just the most amazing, uh, you know, things he edited out, like his hair catching on fire. Et <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I know I would sit in the room late at night and like, look at that stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't know. I wonder like what the insurance ramifications were. Oh my you God. It had to have been just getting sued by Michael Jackson after you lit his head on fire. You know, I think that's the point where your insurance company goes out of business. Yeah. Only yeah. I know there must've been some real money change in hands there. But poor Michael. That was like a hard thing to live with. You know, once your scalp gets burned like that, yeah. No wonder he went for that propofol. Yeah, as I'd say, he was on painkillers for what, the rest of his life, right? Yeah. Well, he couldn't sleep, you know. I mean, I know people like to kind of get down on him about all of that stuff, you know, that he was kind of debauched and going down the drain. But I had a bad car accident and I had nerve damage to my uh my head and my and I know what it's like to not be able to lay my head down. Oh wow. If you yeah. can never rest, you would do anything to sleep and i could totally understand if you had the means to hire which he did yeah exactly come in and give you something that would allow you to sleep like wouldn't you you know well so tracy you uh after after uh being the sole cause (laughs) of michael jackson's hair catching on fire i'm joking um you uh, you continued to edit and then uh, uh what brings you to where we are today 
Oh God. Well, I was talking about that uh, accident that I hurt my head. I was actually retired and uh, the exec producers of this project, uh, they had a music publishing company in uh, LA. And one of the guys is a friend of mine from that punk music scene. And so he knew that I, you know, I was a writer, that I did music, that I was kind of an all around creative person and that I'd been an editor for decades. So he contacted me and told me that they bought this film, a share in this film. And, you know, they had a lot of technical questions that, you know, could, can we, can we re- resurrect this? Can we take it from one system to another? And so we kept answering the questions. And then they started asking like, well, what would you do with this story if you were to try to fix it? And I said, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, Are we getting you know, to the point where I'm starting to be seen as a consultant that like gets paid because right. you asked me a lot of questions here. This is where you have to write me a check, even if yeah. it's a nominal Listen, I'll do to fee. you what I did to Michael Jackson if you don't start throwing some That's coins my right. way. <laughs> no, no, I was merely the uh, secretary of the information, nothing to do with the actual moment of production. <laughs> right, right. But, right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, so I gave them my, I told them my idea, and they really liked it, and so they said, well, let's do it. So wow, we began yeah. by cutting down the old film, adding a few animated scenes. So we made a film that was like 48, 50 minutes long from a full-length film initially. And then they liked it so much, they were like, can't you please, like, make it feature length again? <laughs> so I was like, well, we'd have to write a whole new movie. And so then that's what we did. And we oh, wow. brought back some of the actors. We brought back George. Hi, George. Hi, Tracy. Yeah, he's sitting patiently <laughs> waiting for us to I'm stop very talking patient. about it. By the way, I have to correct you. Tracy did not edit the piece when the, when the Michael Jackson accident happened. She edited his hair piece. <laughs> <laughs> That replaced the original swath swath of hair. Thank you very much. After the fact, yes, I became his hairdresser. It's a well known fact. So that's such a that's such a crazy idea though that you you someone says, Hey, I have this movie that we need to rework. So you have to go in and for lack of a better term, fix someone else's mistakes or fix some errors or just fix, you know, what wasn't put finished and redo it. And then George, yeah. you got to come back to something that you'd done previously what was the gap for you between originally shooting and then when they when you guys started to work on this again was it like seven years george yeah i think it was by the time you and i connected right i think it was more than that i actually you know to be honest with you if i can give you an exact chronology from the best recollection that i have uh two th- we started shooting this in the fall of 2007 and then we continued pretty much into the fall of 2008. We did some pickup shots and some just some added things that needed to fill in the gaps in, in, in the storyline. We filmed that in Las Vegas. We shot that in Vegas on, on location, inside casinos, anywhere we could. We got extra bits and pieces. And then after that was done, there was a long gap before I connected or met Tracy and I got to work with her and uh, Van Jordan, as well as Robert Bolter, the new uh, the team that took over where Marv Silverman had left off. That's such a great like, did you just sit there and think, well, that'll never see the light of day? Or did you did you have any idea? I guess, hey, once your job's done, so to speak, it, it is what it is. But did you think seven plus years later, they're going to call you and say, hey, we need you to work on this? I honestly didn't know. I didn't have any grandiose. I mean, I would have loved to have seen it 
do a lot more initially because we were all, you know, pretty excited about it. And Marv, for Marv, it was a very much a passion life project for him. And he was such a huge Elvis fan. The version of Elvis he loved is not the one that I tend to gravitate more at being a fan. But when you love Elvis, you love Elvis and you want to bring that together the best you can. And then all that time went by and then I just kind of forgot about it. I mean, I, every now and again, it would pop back into my mind. You know, it's always in the back of your mind, but you can't hold your breath. As we know in the industry, as much as people would love to see projects, you know, make a nice run for whether it's theatrical release or, or, or on screen, DVD, television, cable, whatever the medium is, it doesn't always happen. And I can only push as far as I can do within my yeah. immediate influence. And Marv, I know, was trying. I remember him telling me back then before Tracy came on board, Marv was pitching it to Warner Brothers and other major studios. He told me he had he had meetings set up with major studios of that ilk. And he asked me, he asked me if I'd be available for interviews. And I said, yeah, but those interviews and my being invited to them never came. Well, I think there were some legal issues with the original film. I think that would have made it impossible for anyone to use. And that was well, one sure. of the things I had to change. Is that surrounding sure. like the, the use of right. music? No. no. Elvis Presley's estate, as Tracy will probably go ahead and say, is extremely protective. Yeah. So there were, there were things that they were doing in the original film that we had to completely pull out root and stem well, because wow. they weren't legal. And, you know, as far as like getting a project, somebody else's project and fixing it, that's exactly what editors do. So... I had decades of experience. So this is in your wheelhouse. Exactly. I felt very confident about doing this. And so I really just got in there like, must go, must go. Right. All right, now we have these scenes. What can we make with this? And that was where it got really interesting. It was like writing a new framework for it and making a new story that would be legal and uh, also, you know, kind of fun. And fun for fun for the whole family. When you say illegal, is that do you mean in the sense that uh, there's IP being used, or like what does it what does illegal mean in these terms? I just don't know. Well, I, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean Elvis is a pretty protected guy, so yeah. there's stuff that you can't do. There's some things that you can't say and do, like you can't mention members of his family, for instance. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Now I understand. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's anything a, that was like that. Use of the likeness in ways in which that weren't approved, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Right. Because the, the reality is this the media, as you guys know, the media loves to make, in, in general terms, I'm not talking about true, hardcore, loving Elvis fans, but in general, the media loves to make uh, a, a poke fun at Elvis, uh, make a little bit of a mockery of Elvis, talk about, you know, the drug use and the overweight and all that stuff in the last couple of years of his life. The fans don't want to hear that. They're very, very, they're not happy to hear about that kind of stuff. And the media spins it just because it's a cheap laugh. It's, it's easy. It grabs people's attention because it's Elvis, but then they take it into a direction, which is really not cool. You know, generally speaking, any fan's going to tell you that. So that's why the estate's so protective. That's why they're so careful some people get to that level and i think he did and, and not to keep harkening back but also with michael jackson that they're they become an icon of themselves like a caricature of of a person like people I, don't I'm, see I'm so them as real people that. anymore right right you're, you're right and, and and the reality is this and i i heard this phrase a long long time ago but i think it really captured it truthfully and it hurts a little bit you know for a lot of fans but 
Elvis in the 1970s with all the jumpsuits and all the uh, glitter and all the um, just all the paraphernalia that was part of his image later on. He became a caricature of his former self. And, you know, though, I guess it's better to go that way than the other way, meaning you were a huge star and the biggest and and so popular when you were alive. And then you get made fun of after you're gone versus the folks, you know, you hear about the struggling artists that get made fun of for the the entirety of their lives. And then their their brilliance is only recognized 200 years later. Death brings about, you know, a lot of people's success. It's weird how that works. So before we go any further, George, uh, we we ne- we neglected to uh, to just ask you a little bit about you yourself and your career. Uh, you play the man, the myth, the legend himself uh, in this film. But uh, tell us how that came to be and and what your background is and why that would make so much sense. I remember getting a, a casting notice. Um, I think I threw a friend of mine who heard about uh, an upcoming audition for this film, and it was it was over in uh, Westwood. And I was, or West LA rather, and I was in the area. So it wasn't very far from where I was. I showed up and uh, they actually had given me an appointment prior to, I went in and I auditioned once. Mar was sitting behind a desk. He had one reader, one female reader reading the, uh, the, the characters opposite me. He brought me back a second time, brought me back a third time. And I think there might've been one last chemistry read so i believe all in all it was four meetings at marv's office in west la and he was looking for me to, to he's trying to draw certain things out of me and and i and i think i delivered that and it was a little quirky and a little odd humor because i had first auditioned well, what first brought me to los angeles was auditioning for dick clark for an nbc movie of the week dick always was very passionate about exposing the truth to the public about the, how, the, how the relationship between Elvis and his manager, Colonel Parker, really went down. So he did a film called Elvis and the Colonel, The Untold Story. And it was an NBC movie of the week. And I, I flew down to audition because they approved a photo of mine that an agent had submitted. And, and they're not going to pay for me to audition to come down for that. But I had a free airline ticket. It didn't cost me a dime. So I came down and they picked me up at the airport at LAX, brought me straight to, uh, to the casting studios across from Dick Clark's uh, offices, production offices. I auditioned in front of a gentleman who had directed Elvis himself in 1969 in a film called Change of Habit with Mary Tyler Moore. Wow. And there's no relation, but the director of that movie, his name was Billy Graham. And he's not related to the Reverend at all, <laughs> but he was the same guy directing this film. Elvis and the Colonel, the untold story. He gave me a couple of adjustments. They told me to come back the next day and have a call back. So they came back the next day in front of two producers, the casting director, plus the director, Billy Graham. And they gave me some adjustments, gave me the thumbs up. I went home the next morning. I got the call that I came very close. They had, they had it narrowed down to three actors and I was one of the three. And they ended up going a different direction based on purely on look, they told me, just your look. And that was it. And um, that was it. So I, I was used to coming in and auditioning for films that were based on, on, on that were factual about Elvis, not mm-hmm. these psychedelic fantasy, extreme, quirky, this, humoristic wait, hold, hold, out. This isn't true? Because I thought this was a documentary, so I'm very it's confused a documentary. now. documentary. <laughs> it's all true. There you go. Well, I'll just go with what I'll, I'm going to go with what Tracy says. <laughs> speaking yeah, of, speaking of that, that angle, though, 
where did the alien angle come from? Like, it's such a unique, like, hey, Elvis has been with the aliens. You know, that, that's such a fun, it wasn't the whole, you know, he faked his death and he's been, you know, yeah, eating donuts yeah. and people are seeing him in, in restaurants and he was acting in movies and stuff like that. You know, I think, that, you know, the alien thing was Marv's invention. And I yeah. think it really came from like those inquirers and the globe right. and the World Weekly World News. Weekly News. And, like, you know, everybody knew about that Elvis had maybe been abducted by aliens. That was a that was a pretty big piece of pop culture for a while there, right? Sure. I mean it so I it seemed like a I liked the idea of it when they showed me the movie. I was like, oh, you could really expand on this whole alien thing. And then that's what we ended up. My favorite, my favorite thing about checking out of the grocery stores when I was younger was seeing the World Weekly News. The, if it was black oh. and white, you know it was going to be good. You pick it up, you thumb through it. and <laughs> so crazy. Reagan shaking hands with an alien or something yeah. like that. Well, you know, that happened. 52-pound <laughs> baby, you know. All yeah, yeah. And, and oh, the yeah. constant exploits of Bat Boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> the dog face girl. Yeah. <laughs> I remember them. <laughs> For those of us who aren't as familiar, you keep referencing the movie's original creator. So the movie was created in one form and then was brought back to you, Tracy, years later to be resurrected in another form. The original creator was not part of the resurrection. Um, uh, is that is that right? Is that have I told that correctly so far? That is right. Yes. When, so, when they brought it to me, they, you know, they wanted me to remake it. And, you know, being a creative person, I could understand uh, how difficult that would be for the originators of the film. Right. So somebody take apart their baby. So I just, I, I, I had to have a separation from Marv at that time so that I could do my work without ha- being uh hampered by his desires by his attachment to how it was before i needed total freedom to be able to make something new without fighting somebody else's impulses of course so so it really did become you know something my story is the film that we that both brent and i just screened that all the listeners at home can go watch right now uh, is it a mixture of shots from the original and the the the, what you did seven years later oh yeah uh and and so you so you literally took pieces of what already was there and you figured out where the holes were and then you went and and shot what you needed for the holes that's we wrote a new story so it wasn't like we used his story and then reshot his scenes we cut away whole pieces and then made new story and shot that stuff so, so George was the was the first thing you were thinking as as you're going through this, like, okay, is my hairline the same? Do I have any wrinkles that I didn't have? <laughs> Honestly, that didn't come into my mind. But I have to be honest with you, I couldn't, I didn't like wearing that wig at all. I couldn't stand because I just thought it was so, it was so reminiscent of cheesy later career Elvis and the, and even the wigs don't look natural. I never was a fan of Elvis's hair and big lamb chop sideburns in the seventies. For me. The epitome of Elvis and the true Elvis was the 1950s era, hands down, bar none, end of discussion. Because that's what that was the true essence of Elvis. Marv was totally into the 70s. And when I try to slick my hair and show up on set the first day with my hair the way I thought would be cool, he's like, no, 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 that's two 1950s. <laughs> so the hairline for me to answer your question was always a mess, always wrong, always cheesy, because it was a damn, <laughs> it was a damn wig. 
and it was never going to look right. And I felt like a damn clown, but I, I, I was acting with my heart, but the, but the look of the wig and all that was so, so just circus, you know, circus circus. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was very Elvis impersonatory and some of the, yes, some of exactly. the, you know, Marv himself actually took it to new heights with these. Like, with a, with, yeah. With a blow dryer and gel, he took it to new heights. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was, had these massive, uh, you know, sideburns, but you could see where the top of the sideburn was like pasted onto his face. And then he used like, I don't know, like black paint on the top of his head to like make the hairline, but it was totally visible. All of it was kind of clownish on Marv's part. George was the glamour Elvis, but Marv was like the clown Elvis with the, you know, Marv, yeah. Marv probably was, I don't know, God, George, what, a hundred pounds overweight. He's pretty big. So he was, you know, wearing the big suits and the crazy wigs and the, and really, putting his heart and soul into the performances that he did as uh, Elvis. So I did a lot of clown Elvises in this. Well, yeah, the thing is I, I, I personally, myself, again, it wasn't my story. It wasn't my script. It wasn't my, my baby. So I, I can respect Mark's Marv's creative idea, his vision. It was his whole thing. I just want to show up and do the best in, in the middle of all that circus Elvis look of all the, uh, cheesy style impersonators that were emphasizing too much the overweight aspect the the whole fiasco of it i was trying my best to preserve a pure elvis from the soul performers of what i knew elvis to really be from my own self-education when i was a kid learning about him and also talking to speaking with sonny west who was a major help on the set because sonny worked with elvis since 1962 as a bodyguard so i was trying to capture that elvis true to life true to my true to his essence in and around all that cheesy mayhem of of you know bad costumes bad wigs bad hairstyles bad this bad too many tummies that were overflowing over their belts and their jumpsuits and all that you know so i'm not i'm not putting those guys down i mean i'm sure their hearts are in the right place because they love elvis but marv decided to cast those types of looks and those types of actors for a specific reason to fit the script and he's more partial to the 70s where i'm more partial to the 50s rock and roll elvis well, George, he brought you in to bring the sexy and to bring the real vibe of Elvis. You know, when you were on stage. That's exactly why I'm on this podcast across from John. I bring the sexy and it's needed. George's moves on stage. He's an amazing dancer, an amazing performer. And so you have all of these goofy clown Elvises trying, trying, trying. <laughs> and George comes out. And that's the whole thing in the movie is that he's so magical, so charismatic, so sexy and fabulous. Real? Because he's playing the real Elvis, you know? Well, well, George, George can bring that. George has that, you know? So in the film, his magic that he brings makes people think that maybe he's, he's really Elvis. That's why he's so good because he's a real deal. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> one thing you mentioned george was great is you guys did have sonny west in the show his oh, it was former, such a such a treat yeah, yeah such his, a treat. his head of security i believe correct one of his bodyguards How, sonny like, and red yeah sorry go ahead no go ahead that's just tell us about that that's amazing 
I mean, I was thrilled. I, I always knew who Sonny was being a fan and reading. I used to absorb all the, all the Elvis books when I was in my early, early teens. He was like, he was like the one thing that really, uh, gave some real truth because I found school boring. So he always gave me some excitement, some spark in my life. And I really immersed myself in that after he passed away. But um, meeting Sonny, he just mentioned so many stories. And, and uh, you know, he'd been with him since 19... His, his cousin, Red, Red West, was the first um, West kid to be Elvis's security. Sonny was Red's first cousin. And they were both tough as nails. And both guys would... Uh, would take a bullet or a blade for Elvis anytime. They loved him so much. He was like a brother to them. They would protect him from anything on the planet. And Sonny said, Sonny even said, you know, I would take a bullet for him. I would take a, any blade for him. Well, the day he died, I was so angry at God. Why would you take someone so special off of the planet? Why would you do that, God? It's not fair. He cried like a baby. He told me all this stuff. He said, he said, you know, we can protect Elvis from anything, but in the end, how do you protect a man from himself? You, you guys know Sonny West wrote like a tell-all book about Elvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and Red, together, yeah, yeah. both did. Yeah. So there were some uh, hard feelings between the two of them. I think, you know, it seemed that he was trying to, to help him, to point, you know, to say like, this is the wrong way, don't go this way. Yeah. His frustration with all of it, you know, was intense. But in the end, I think he really loved him. You know, when he, uh, there was a, there's a scene in the film where, where they have a kind of a heart to heart talk, George yeah. and Sonny. And, yeah. you know, Sonny's, Sonny's not a professional actor, but as he's doing this scene, like he says to Elvis, like, I really, uh, I'm really grateful that I have, like, I really felt bad that I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And you died. And I'm so, you know, it's so good that you're back. When he did that scene, his eyes just filled with tears. I mean, he, he was really moved, you know, like kind of really feeling that, like, what if, you know, I really felt that from him. There were some like surprisingly like real touching things in the middle of all these clowns, you know? (laughs) Well, here's why, here's why, if I may say this, I remember sitting in the diner that day and when Sonny showed up on set, The director pulled him aside and said, look, and he whispered to him for several minutes. And what he told me later was whatever you'd never had a chance to tell Elvis, this is your chance. Look at this. Like it's your shot, your second chance that you never, ever had to tell him everything you wanted to tell him, but death pulled him away before you had a chance to do that. What would it be? What would you want to say to him if he was back today and you could express the one thing that you couldn't quite express to him before he passed. And the moment he said that to him, I saw Sonny. I was sitting across watching him have this conversation. And you could see Sonny's tears well up in that moment. Yeah. So Sonny carried that into the scene because he was looking at me like I really was Elvis. And he's got a chance now to say these things that he's kept inside that he never could because Elvis died before he had the opportunity to open up to him. Was that, was that Grisha, the DP? No, it was Jacob Bressler. Oh, Jacob, that was Jacob Bressler. Oh. Jacob Bressler was the, is the, uh, a, a very unsung hero in this production at the time in the original days of shooting. I think it took us three and a half weeks to a month to shoot everything, maybe three weeks, closer to three weeks. We did everything. And, um, yeah, Jacob was helping with the setup of shots. He was setting up uh, camera angles and everything. He was the AD. 
he was the AD who ended up directing it. And Marv would just yell out action, you know? <laughs> so, so Tracy, George, we've, we've talked about, you know, some pretty deep things. We've talked about, you know, life and love and loss. Um, I think it's probably time to talk about the most important aspect of, uh, of this discussion. Certainly to our listeners, the aliens. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what was the, uh, what, you know, tell us, uh, this is an honest question. What was the approach to the aliens? Uh, I don't, you know, the, 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 whether it be the graphics, their origin, you know, uh, Tracy, you mentioned, you, you know, the, the story was virtually rewritten, so we as 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 just folks watching the movie have no idea what was in the original versus versus what your hand was in. Tell us the approach to the extraterrestrials. Well, in the in the original film, there was just kind of a hint at the aliens. There was like a, a mask and you'd see like just a little bit, but they didn't really play into the film very much. And we we liked the idea of Elvis being with the aliens. We liked thinking of him being on the ship with the aliens. And like, what was their relationship? What was it like to be Elvis up there with the aliens? And I thought it'd be fun to really uh, explore that. So we, we got a, a model of an, you know, we wanted it to be like a cliche alien. Right. Sure. We got that. We bought that alien. Gray as people call them. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. One of the grays, mm-hmm. but we, we, we decided to just kind of flip it a little bit by giving, making the aliens very sensitive and true music lovers. So, you know, we gave them these big like human eyes in their big alien heads and well up with tears at one point. Yeah. We just thought that'd be a fun thing to do with them that they really, really loved Elvis. I, I just wanted to inject some real love for Elvis, like as many places in this as we could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Purely as a fan um, of of lots of of uh, science fiction out there that touches on on aliens, it, it was it was nice to see a production that uh, just took it from the pure perspective of the aliens are good. I mean, you you, hey, you fuck up on Earth. Like I don't know El- about Elvis. you, but the aliens are fine. <laughs> they just yeah, like Elvis. Yeah, what if? Right? What right. if? Yeah. I like the whole idea of the universal language, you know, of music, like talking to aliens. Like, why not? Speaking of random craziness, you had Alexander Butterfield in the show that he was the CIA chairman in there. Isn't that wild? He was the guy who was setting up like the secret tapings for Nixon back in the day. I know. That was Marv. That was one of Marv's What a random like, hey, I want you to play. I mean, it was it was such a tongue in cheek. Like, you're going to be the head of the CIA because. Yeah, right. Wait, now is that are we talking about the guy in the dark room? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my, my question about that is, is, is I, I love the little Easter eggs that you popped in on the on the TV he was watching. There was a oh no 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 no, 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 no not him. He's an agent. That's Vanderbeek. That's Agent Vanderbeek. Oh, you're talking about the person you don't see the face of at all. That's right. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Sorry. Yeah, the chairman. Yes, the the, the wily chairman. Man, but yeah, that's just such a like a. <laughs> this sounds terrible. Like a deep cut, you know, as far as is conspiracies and, and that <laughs> world goes. So that was a nice little. Speaking of random, and then you know you're driving down the road in Martin Cove. Sensei oh my God. pulls you over yeah. himself just for like a random scene. How fun so is that? George, George, what was it like with Martin Cove in that car scene? All of that. I just want to touch upon 
Marv's, I mean, as far as me saying, you know, how, how much I liked one era of Elvis, Marv loved the 70s, but I still respected Marv's vision. Marv did an amazing job. And he told me on stage, was George, I, I was able to get Alex Butterfield. You know who Alex Butterfield was? He told me, oh my God, he was involved with the Nixon campaign and all this stuff that you guys are talking about. And I didn't know much of that, but Marv did an amazing job to bring in Alex Butterfield. And of course, Martin Cove was incredible to work with because who isn't a fan of the Karate Kid? Right. right. And then to see this guy now, he's pulling me over and I'm ready. I got to roll down my window and he looks at me like, who are you? Why are you dressed in that funny Elvis suit? And there I was in the wig, the glasses, the pasted on sideburns. By that point, they got a little bit better. I must say the hair and the, and the, and the burns got a little bit better by the time Martin <laughs> came along. Was Martin part of the reshoot or the original shoot? No, he was the original. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I really liked that scene. So we kept Martin in there. It was, I thought that was kind of a fun scene. It was a great scene. It was really, it was out in the desert. It was windy and it was so damn windy and kind of chilly at the same time. I forgot what month we shot this in, but it was kind of cold. It was so windy that Martin in between takes, his eyes would start tearing like he was having an emotional meltdown because he loves it because he loves Elvis, but it wasn't that if anyone needed to cry on cue, but couldn't, that was the day to do it because the wind and the cold made you cry no matter how much of a tough guy you were, including, including the Cobra instructor, Martin Cove. And that was a sheriff, uh, California patrol officer pulling over the King, you know? Well, I always, I find it interesting. Um, and, and I want to say this delicately as to, uh, you're both great sports, but you know when you have a uh, a movie uh, where the if a person isn't uh, you know a, a huge f- filmophile, they might not know all of the actors in the movie, right? Uh, they're they're falling in love with the story, they're falling in love with the actors at the time, but they might not be familiar with them. Then you've got uh, you know you're, you're you're three quarters of the way through the movie, and Martin Cove appears out of nowhere. It's like oh what a, what a great surprise or Easter egg, so you know because yeah. everyone at least knows him from from Karate Kid. He's so famous, wasn't he? Was he in Chips? Was that was he in Chips? No, he actually he though that. he had a show, and the name is escaping me. But in the in the early eighties, he played an alien who was stranded on Earth, learning like. Uh, how to be human or something along those lines. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's a little bit of a connection there. It's not his first uh, oh, okay. alien soiree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I just, I love that moment where he gets out of the car and he sticks his thumbs in yeah. his, his belt and he just kind of hikes his pants up and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's he great. Was good. He was just very good. It's a little role, but it was beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, he's, he's amazing. And, and again, Marv was really proud of the fact he could get um, Martin Cove in on that. And so was Jacob. Jacob Bressler also was very thrilled to have him. And, yeah. you know, they, they, they pulled a favor and they got him. And it was great. He was a very nice man. He was really cool. Yeah, he looked like he was having a good time that day. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, how you how you um, reconcile, I suppose, would be the best way to, to say it. You both have. I spoke with reverence about uh, 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 Elvis Presley, and who wouldn't? A wonderful, talented musician. Um, I'm certainly guilty, George, of of some of the making some of the jokes that you reference. I've I've made them, you know, I, it, because people become memes in our society, and and you know, I'm not going to say I don't do that. I, we all have, I think, maybe not you two about Elvis, but to to the larger extent. How do you? How did you find the line between? Because at the same time, we are talking about a movie about. Elvis leaving the planet with aliens, right? So, so there is there is a level of irreverency. There is a level of uh, 
of making it into a little bit more than just the classic story. Uh, was that difficult to find that line? No, I, I, I just think because I, my intention from the beginning, from day one, was always to play him real. How would Elvis himself play this if he was really in this situation? If he really wasn't, he didn't die, but he was abducted by aliens. And he's coming back 30 years later to deal with the present day reality of what Elvis, of what Aviva, of what Las Vegas looks like and trying to uh, blend into society. But no one's going to probably believe it's really him. He's trying to just see how things look now. I just tried to play that real. And then by the time Sonny West came on the set, he added additional and he gave me information such as, you know, Elvis in a situation like this would do this or in a situation. If a person was acting and behaving a certain way, Elvis would respond with this. He likes this. He didn't like that. He would love this. He would. He gave me so much information, but a lot of it tended to easily resonate with me. And I really understood it because I think I had a, uh, a some sort of a connection from the time I was young, absorbing all that information. I just try to play him real the way it would, it, it would be as if it was really Elvis. How would he respond in these circumstances? I tried to keep it real. And that's what helped me get through. I think that's an incredibly respectful way to do it. I think it came through in your performance and in the way you handled that I hate to say that Elvis, but yeah, the real Elvis versus all the others and in, in how the, the competition and all that went, uh, yeah. I think it came through very well. Very, very I really, well. Thank you. I really like the way George's uh, sincerity and warm performance went up against the other, the, the more uh, cartoon, the cartoon yeah, yeah. And, uh, comic, you know, it made the, the funny stuff funnier and made George warmer. So when it was warm, you really felt it. And when it was crazy, you could just really enjoy it, you know? Right. Thank you all. Thank you. So you tried to kill Michael Jackson. You brought Elvis back to life. What's next? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you taking a pop shot at? (laughs) Got a lot of stuff going on. Well, uh, gosh, I've got another script coming. uh, That's, uh, it's a, it's a zombie apocalyptic, uh, a story set in Palmdale, California. Oh, you're uh, kidding, really? Where the bad guys are the uh, drug companies and uh, military and government characters. And uh, the good guys are another ragtag bunch. But this time it's like a, a, a woman who was, uh, who had a terrible experience in the military, who was like, molested by her you know commander and is trying to put her life back together she becomes a uh she becomes a detective and she gets all caught up in this whole uh uh drug company fiasco where these uh a drug company is making a drug that that turns people into zombies but kind of slowly, like, so they're addicted to this drug. They have to kind of keep taking it so they don't get zombified. But then something happens to the supply. And so then it's just like, hilarity. A of zombies. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different take on it. That's fun. Cause it isn't the same, you know, you, you, you just like you did with Elvis. It's a very different take on, on the the whole idea. Yeah. Well, Tracy, give me keep making keep making films like this. You'll be able to fill out our whole dance card uh, in two weeks. I think we're gonna have uh, uh, Max Brooks yeah. on, who wrote uh, World War Z, yep. 
Oh, wow. Well, keep my number, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be, we'll, we'd love to have you back on when we talk zombies. Yeah. Um, oh, George, I love and, you. Yeah. George, what do you have going on? Do you have anything else coming up? Uh, I'm involved in a project. Uh, I play, uh, because as much as I love Elvis, the intention, you know, to, to be an artist and to be an entertainer was more about playing all, all sorts of other roles. It was always the goal. You know, Elvis is something that was close to me, but right now I'm on a, I want a show which has a, it was taken on by the El Rey network and we're about to release. Oh, I love El Rey. Yeah. I watch a lot of stuff on El Rey actually. Oh, you do. Okay. It's a show called Sangre Negra, which means black blood yeah. in English. And I play the character of Cole. I'm an undercover cop. He's not, he's completely un, non Elvis as much as you can be. If anything is more, <laughs> He, and he, a buddy of mine wrote the project. His name is uh, Tony McKay. He wrote it. And uh, Tony and I met performing overseas. I would play Elvis in these Las Vegas style shows that were like legends in concert. We would do it overseas. And he, and he was Michael Jackson, speaking of Michael Jackson. And, uh, and he and I met. And during our downtime, we, we, you know, we'd go out, work out in the gym, whatever, and talk about the business. And he was always wanting to write projects and he wrote a couple of projects one of them is sangre negra he cast me as the character cole undercover cop it's a real mix of different ethnicities and el ray picked it up for at least eight episodes oh nice Excellent. and they're gonna be yeah it, it would have already premiered but with this pandemic it's right, kind of put yeah. the brakes on a lot of things you know so mm -hmm. in the next i think month or so we're gonna have a full release on uh, on the el ray network and uh a lot of interesting characters. It's kind of a mixture of, um, it's a combination of the, the Sopranos meets Dallas with that kind of glamour, or meets Dynasty, that kind of glamour, yeah, yeah. but also an element of mobstery, mobstery characters and that type of uh, conflict going on. Sounds fun, George. It's totally fun. My character pulls like a mixture of, of a modern day undercover cop meets a young Clint Eastwood from Rawhide years, that kind of a feel. I'll tune in for that. <laughs> so yeah, look out for that show. And I thanks for for the plug. We'll definitely keep our eyes open for that. I uh, the most Brent, I'll let you wrap up. But the most important question that I have left that I, I took away uh, from from watching the film is towards the beginning, uh, the agent is on a phone. What in the world is happening with that phone? It's a red. Like uh, uh, the, the kind of phone that I had when I was a kid that you hang on the wall. It's because the and president it's in a car. called. The president's got a call on the red phone. I totally got that. I know. Right? No, I know, but it's in a car. I have like, one right it's... here next to me. <laughs> Literally, the red phone. It's so that's the, that. That is the that's that's the essential bat phone. Is what I want to apologize. Yeah. John's that's very right. dumb. And <laughs> line to power that phone it's red it's got that old kind of handset you know everybody knows exactly don't worry we got the full blessing of commissioner gordon adam west and burt ward <laughs> they said it's okay because it's elvis you can have it for one day when we cut that scene i was just like what is that phone yes. oh my god I totally got it. I'm like, the president's calling. Of course, he's got his own damn line. Just the red. You're right, John. It is the red desk phone handset that she picks up. Yeah. 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 I, I, it was great. I mean, I, it, it was, it, it was uh, a wonderful campiness. That's, that's a great question. I love that. 
Well, thank, thank you guys so much for joining us. We had a blast, and we look forward to uh, – we're going to post this for everyone to see. And Thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast talking about Elvis and aliens. I mean, if you had to write an afternoon for yourself, why not just make it about Elvis <laughs> and aliens? And you peppered in a little bit of El Rey Network and Michael Jackson on fire. So I'm firing on all cylinders today. I don't know about you, John. I I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, Elvis from Outer Space, the – the campiest and greatest Elvis from Outer Space movie you will That's find. That's right. And uh, we'll be right back with more Hysteria 51. Oh, John. I started to show now I'm fighting back a sneeze. Maybe it's because I'm allergic to you. I don't know how how I should feel about that. Or maybe from from 30 miles away. I mean, that's a that's a strong I can allergy. Still, I, I can still hear you. And so like it's one of those sympathetic. <laughs> allergies. Oh, well, in that case, we're going to keep this podcast going for the rest of your life, because uh, the more the more I can make you sneeze, the better off. Uh, it makes my life. Well, the rest of my life might be a very long time because as soon as my body is failing, I've made a pact with the aliens from Alpha Centauri. They're going to put me into a bio suit so I can live on forever in the cosmos. It's really sweet of them. It is very nice. For whatever reason, they see me as their leader. Something about being perfect or in you know gag. Everything I feel like that part's not true. I was I was with you right up until then. I wasn't. Well, a lot of people just can't handle truth. Brent, we just wrapped up with Tracy and George, and uh, what delightful people! Yeah, super nice, and it, it was it was fun to see how George talked about. It. He wanted to be respectful to Elvis because with so many Elvis impersonators, which is something that this movie was a lot about, you get the cheese factor. Well, there was plenty of cheese in the movie. Let's not let's not be. No, I'm saying uh, the cheese I'm, factor of the Elvis impersonators going over the. Oh, top. sure. Um, we were, you know, we're from Springfield, Illinois. They had Elvis himself. Was <laughs> the guy? I remember the name that was always at those places. Yeah, this is your your fun cheese popcorn movie. It's a B movie. This is what you would watch uh, with Rhonda Shear or Gilbert Gottfried. You know, on USA Up all night. That's right. And have a blast. Uh, that's right. With it, you know. This is one of those movies that you have to walk into knowing what you're getting into. Like, um, it, it's it's kind of like like the oh gosh, I, I don't want to make an um I'm trying to think of a good analogy. The the point being that you're not walking in to take everything at face value. It's obvious from the first time you see the UFO, they're not going for photorealistic. If 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 you if you catch my meaning, well, I was going to go with the. The, the fact that it's called Elvis from Outer Space tipped me off on that. But, you know, you can go with the first viewing of the Nah, not me. Hey, <laughs> I mean. This, this, I mean, I didn't really we, know his backstory. Deal. I didn't know his backstory. We, uh, <laughs> what is the difference between Elvis and Betty and Barney Hill? I mean, they, you know, I'm just saying. Well, if we're talking about Barney, it's space herpes. Because no, that's uh, true. I can't that, argue with that. That ring of space herps. Um, which so. I, okay. Uh, Brent. <laughs> We we have not talked about we've been we we've, we've gone on way too long about Elvis and aliens and his death and all that but what we haven't talked about is the famous Elvis sandwich. Oh man, peanut butter and banana, correct? And bacon, right? I believe uh, bacon as well. I don't, on fried bread. I don't know if there was bacon on there. I'm getting. I'm going to say there was uh, because I like bacon. 
I think there. I really do think there was. But regardless, somehow the that it gets conflated with like his death. Um, well, which by the way, I mean, died of a heart attack. There, there's. I'm not saying it's conflated in the sense that eating a bunch of those all day every day won't lead to your death. Fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. Uh, no bacon for his. Taste. Oh, listen to you. You're Googling. Yeah, well, you're going to say, yeah, we're going to do that instead of saying, because I'm the one who answers the emails when they go, uh, you dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> there was no bacon on that. I'm just saying of all the uh, the inaccuracies that we portray on this show. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, when <laughs> we find one that you... Uh, <laughs> when we find one that's bacon, let's yeah. let's leave it out. But it was, as you said, it was fried, so uh, certainly not the healthiest of sandwiches. My point being uh, that it 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 seems in like the general culture that we have gotten to a place where, like, he was eating that sandwich on the toilet when he died. <laughs> like, like uh, that that there's a, there's such a uh, you were talking earlier about you know a caricature of Elvis. There's like a, a caricature of his death that 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 involves that sandwich somehow. There's a there's a sad thing that happens I think to people that when they have that fame, that money, that power, where you just become immune to the real world. I heard a, a story from a uh, a former. Uh, assistant that had worked with Kiefer Sutherland. And he talked about how Kiefer Sutherland just doesn't understand that the world doesn't work the way that Kiefer Sutherland works because Kiefer Sutherland has grown up a millionaire his entire life to like Hollywood family and shit like that. And when he wakes you up at 3am and he wants a Fender Telecaster from blah, blah, blah year, he doesn't understand that everywhere's closed. You know, or if he wants a llama at 4 p.m. on a Sunday, you don't under get to tell him he can't go get a llama because that's not how the real world works. And he's not being an asshole, though you could argue that he is. They're just in that world where they just get what they want. And I think that was kind of the downfall of Elvis is he just became this, you know, caricature of himself and just, you know, he people didn't tell him to maybe not do what he was doing. And if they did, who gives a shit? He's going to do what he wants. I'll thank you kindly to never speak of Jack Bauer that way again. Mr. Jack Bauer, if you nasty. He was only 42 years old. I, I I guess I thought of Elvis as older than that. When Elvis died, yeah. yeah. And oh, by the way, on, on Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, um, none of us know him personally, or at least on this show we don't. Um, one, I would, I wonder, I just wonder, and I, I could be wrong about this, I wonder if he like had sort of that... Uh, golden child son of an actor thing going you know early success and then kind of like fell out of love with it because you know the thing that is that, that is true about Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is he quit acting for a number of years and and literally became a rodeo rider you know got injured and and rode on the on the trail with the rest of those guys and and you know wasn't treated special at all I it, uh, that I've heard that story that you just mentioned before so I'm, I'm I, it's interesting when when there are certain it feels like I, I guess I think it's a good analogy, Brent, because eventually he had his his wake up moment, you know, uh, to, to, to 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 his wake up moment was I'm going to quit acting and go join the rodeo. Um, Elvis didn't Elvis never had that wake up moment. You got Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke, successful actor. Then he goes off and becomes a boxer. His face beat in. He comes back and he's hard to recognize from his early days. So. It is weird, yeah. Elvis' fame, though, is on a different level than 
even Mickey Rourke or Kiefer Sutherland or anyone else like well, that. Well, I'll thank you again not to speak that way of Jack Bauer, but go ahead. He is that that Michael Jackson fame, that crazy fame that no, you know that's yeah. just like there is famous where like, don't I know you? You're the um you know, finger snap famous. Um uh Oh, you know, and then there's like, holy shit. You played George Costanza. What is your name? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like the whole other side of it where you literally can't be in public because you'll just be mobbed. Um, that's a, that's a, it does something. It's like the Hysteria 51 level fame that you're talking right. about. Right. Yeah. That's the way it goes, man. You know, just bras and, and panties and money just being thrown at us constantly. no no not what you're wearing what they're throwing at us bras panty and money is my normal <laughs> afternoon attire uh <laughs> and it's especially what i like to wear when i record i'm sitting on 250 dollars in a g-string right now i don't know if you know that or not <laughs> and you do not want to know in what denomination that that's all i'm saying it's a yeah it's see-through just like the coverings on my on my furniture that I got in 1964. So, <laughs> <laughs> call back. Anyway, yeah, man. Uh, there's a lot of of people that are just that uh, crazy, crazy famous. And you know, I, I think though, I think that you know, fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches was the least of his worries with the handful of pills and shit that he was probably taking. But hey, what are you gonna do? I still think he slipped some bacon on there at some point. I'm just saying. <laughs> No, that's just you. You wanted to somehow make that sandwich worse, <laughs> like worse for you. I'm not saying it's going to taste worse. I have had peanut butter and banana fried sandwiches, though. They are okay. You know, the peanut butter very much just overpowers the banana. The banana adds a little bit different consistency. So, you know, what are you going to do with it? I'm wearing a banana hammock. <laughs> now we know what you're wearing. So there you go. But that's our thoughts, Nation, on... The very, very, very famous Elvis Presley and, you know, his exploits in outer space and then back on inner space. John, if they want to tell us their favorite sandwiches or about Elvis or about Michael Jackson, his hair on fire, where can they do that? Hysteria Nation. It is our Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. That's right. Also go to Facebook.com slash Hysteria 51 pod. That is our normal Facebook page. Go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Hysteria 51. You can get extra episodes up all nights and um, pictures, posters, pins, uh, all sorts of fun t-shirts and things. Host your own show. Up all nights now. Actually, introed by yeah, they will be. I haven't done one yet. I haven't done one with a new one, but that is coming uh, very soon. And don't forget, you can leave a voicemail seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. Again, that's seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. And if you forget any of this, hysteria fifty one dot com or what's that other website? Oh, govopedia dot com. And Brent, we are going to have to figure out how to do some of these voicemails. Uh, over the transom, uh, uh, because the reality is that I don't know that we'll be spitting each other's face, yelling at each other in person, uh, any any time in the in the near near future. And we want to, we certainly want to get oh, yeah. some of these voicemails out. God, I'm okay with that. But yeah, yeah, you're right. We <laughs> should. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, don't forget to tell a friend about the show, please, and thank you. That helps us. And leave us a review. Go on Apple or go on Podchaser or anywhere that they will let you do a review. Not everyone does, but a lot of places do. And follow your heart, and I bet it says five stars, and leave us a review. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be very proud of you. And your parents probably will be, too. 
I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I, I just assume that. We might send a handwritten letter to your parents telling them how proud we are of you for them. We might. We might not. I said might. We might not. Might. Yeah. We, you never know. <laughs> tell you what in your review leave your parents name address and social security numbers and we will mull it over <laughs> <laughs> i'll get with my panel of experts we'll discuss the best tactic and uh, go from there <laughs> dibs oh man uh, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna talk to my lawyer uh, yeah well, as your lawyer i advise you to smoke this <laughs> anyway I uh, leave the adrenochrome alone, kids. I didn't do that. <laughs> you did that. You, yeah, God didn't do that. You did that. I knew you were yeah. a DEA agent. Anyway, kids, that's been our thoughts on Elvis from Outer Space. With that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.